Reasonable doubt. How'd you uh, how'd you come up with that title, my brother? Well, you know, whatever you do in life, you know, be it, you know, you know, interviews, radio, rap, or whatever, people are gonna judge you. And it's always reasonable doubt until they can uh, you know, get the product in their hand. You know, so when I was making the album I was just like, you know, what'd be a better way, you know, reasonable doubt. The album be putting the album on trial for the whole world to judge. From Breaking Atoms comes a new original podcast series celebrating the 25th anniversary of Jay-Z's debut album, Reasonable Doubt. In our second episode, we look at the process of making the album, the internal struggles, signing to Payday Records, Rockefeller renting their first office space and finding a recording home at D&D Studios. This is Brooklyn's Finest. After fascinating hip-hop heads with songs like I Can't Get With That and In My Lifetime, Jay-Z inked a deal with Payday Records, which ultimately proved to be short-lived. It was DJ Premier who connected the dots between Patrick Moxie and Rockefeller Records. In a 1999 interview with Yahoo Music, Jay spoke on his time on Payday Records by saying, the things they were setting up for me, I could have done myself. Using the money from the deal with Payday, Jay Damon Biggs rented an office on 17 John Street, which was at the time a low-rent part of downtown New York, adjacent to the financial district. Everything was in place. The only thing left to do was to start recording the Reasonable Doubt album. Rockefeller Records had in-house producers, and one of them was Wilski, otherwise known as Ski. Dar Adams, historian and journalist, explains the demand for Ski's production and his influence on Jay-Z's music. When original flavors run, they kind of stalled. They made some joints that people like, but they didn't really get over. But Ski's production is what won people over. So Ski was so hot that people were coming from everywhere to try to work with Ski. And Ski had a sound that people gravitated to. So he became the cornerstone of what Dame Dash and Rockefeller did. So he was the in-house producer. So when I think of Jay-Z, I instantly think of Ski. He worked with a lot of producers that made him some dope shit. But to me, the foundation is Ski. He had Camp Low early. And how many Camp Low songs ended up becoming Jay-Z songs? Well, I never really felt like it was competition. I just felt like, you know, we we all making some music for Jay. And I'm not, I'm not an edgy primo type of producer, you know? I mean, I, I come from like a, a musical background, families. Mom's a piano teacher. Everybody's in the, in the church choir. So I love music. I like musical landscapes. I like chord changes. I like, you know, moody music. The first single from Reasonable Doubt was Dead Presidents, released on 20th of February, 1996. However, Reasonable Doubt would feature an updated sequel upon its release. Rob Markman, rapper and journalist, shares his story about hearing Jay for the first time and becoming a fan of his writing ability. And it was dope. I was already a Jay fan because I used to listen to Stretch and Barbito a lot. You know, that, that was my favorite radio show at the time. That's where I got put on to most of the new music. So I, I remember the Big L and Jay Freestyle. Like, and I was a Jay fan from, from then. And I, and I kind of think of Dead Press now as one or two together. I remember Mr. C had this mixtape. Mr. C used to do, he had the best of Biggie Smalls mixtape. 
And then he had the best of Jay-Z mixtape. And, and, and he did this mega mix where he blended Dead Presidents 1 and 2 into one joint. It was a guy by the name of Ken Sport who used to drop mixtapes with samples. That led me to go look up the original sample. And then when you think about how Ski flipped that, makes it amazing. Like, so Dead Presidents is my favorite Jay song. That was my favorite beat on the album. That's still my favorite to this day. I had the Dead Hood album, man. I got inspired to make that record when I heard Pete Rock's The World Is Yours by Nas. And um, I heard that record and I'm like, yo, where did he find those pianos? Why is this so, you know, it was just so emotional, but but crazy with the drums. And I said, yo, I want to find a record like that. I want to find something that gives me that same feeling. And I know I couldn't find it in soul. I know I had to go digging jazz craze. So I just, you know, went out, bought a couple of jazz records. Luckily, I found that Lonnie Listen Smith. When I dropped the needle and I heard, I'm like, yeah, that's the feeling I want. And just to test it out, I threw the Nas vocals on top just to hear it. I'm out for presidents to represent me. I'm out for presidents to represent me. I wasn't planning on using it. I just wanted to hear how Nas would sound on it. When I played it for Jay, I accidentally played the sequence with the Nas vocals in it. And I said, oh, don't worry about that. I'm taking that out. He was like, nah, leave that in there. I like that. That's dope. And that's how we kept Nas vocals in there. Abdul Malik Abbott, who shot the Dead President's video, remembers taking a photo of Jay-Z on the way to the World Trade Center. The image of Jay-Z on the phone ended up becoming the cover art for the Dead President single. We were actually on our way to shoot something downtown near the World Trade Center. And Jay was on the phone and, the, and I was just sitting there in the passenger seat and he was just handling some business. So I took the picture and they ended up using it on the cover for the single. The Rockefeller team recorded the video for Dead Presidents in Manhattan and Brooklyn over two days. Abdul explains the premise of the video and highlights Jay as the hustler. The treatment of the video takes its inspiration from Heat, which was one of Jay-Z's favorite movies. There's a scene in Heat where the cops are watching the bad guys and the dead president's video builds a cinematography around it. There was a scene in Heat where the Robert De Niro character and his crew were checking out a location and then Al Pacino's Cop characters were watching them from a distance, but it was all fake. Like the, the crew from uh, De Niro, they were sort of just setting up the cops to, to get pictures of the cops. So we kind of took that little piece from that movie and built a whole story around it. I think the biggest challenge was trying to get that last scene with Biggie, you know, the rest of the crew. Everyone was there, but Biggie was late and Jay-Z didn't want to shoot it until Biggie showed up. The Dead President's video features an epic roundtable meeting of the minds with Jay... Dame, Biggs, and other Brooklyn legends, including the late Notorious B.I.G., A.Z., and Smooth the Hustler, playing Monopoly with real money and drowning in Crystal. Look closely in the video, and you'll also see a young Lil C's from Junior Mafia and Wise P from the Rangers. I just thought it was cool, and it was also cool playing Monopoly with the gold pieces and then playing it with real money and a big garbage pail full of Crystal. So I, I knew we were doing something special, that's for sure. But uh, the significance of it all, I didn't really, I didn't really know until the video was, was number one, you know, because it wasn't a flashy video. It was very subdued and street, but it just had a little class to it. You know, we're going to pay homage to this movie, 
and we're going to have this gangster element and we're going to have the, the pecking order of the King of New York is in the building. We got the next one coming. It was all thought out, but at the moment you don't really think like how people are going to perceive it. You just, you just know in your head, like, okay, we're doing something different. Reasonable Doubt was recorded at the legendary D&D Studios. For many years, D&D was the primary creative hub for Gangstar's DJ Premier, who produced three songs in the album. Many other hip-hop artists recorded at D&D, including Das FX, Lost Boys, J. Rue the Damager, M.O.P., KRS-One, Lord Finesse, and many more. David Lotwin, the co-founder of D&D, shares his memories of watching Jay record the album. The thing about Jay and, and Dame and I was just talking about this, you know, we were very famous for our lounge because it was the A room, the B room, the D room. So a lot of cats, part of their process was being in a lounge and vibing with other cats and, you know, smoking and, and playing CeeLo and shooting pool. I don't think Jay was ever in the lounge besides walking through, buying a soda or something. That man worked if he was up there, he was in the room with Preem working with uh, Do Not Disturb on the door. Like a lot of times with a little bit of an open door policy, let's say whoever was in A, oh, Jay's in there, I'll just walk in. Or if Gangstar's in there. But with Jay in there, it was, it was closed sessions. Those guys were working. The B-side to Dead Presidents was Ain't No featuring Foxy Brown. It became a massive hit for Rockefeller, and his success would play a vital role in them signing a joint venture deal with Def Jam in 1997. Joe Quindy, recording engineer who worked at D&D at the time, describes the vibe of the studio and the recording sessions. We'll also hear from Jazzo, who produced Ain't No, after Jay brought the idea to him. He talks about the challenges of manipulating the seven minutes of funk sample by the whole darn family and playing the drum sounds live. I was working with Ski, and I forget his partner's name, and uh, that kind of went well. And so through that, I guess Ski was uh, hooked up with Rockefeller, who's Rock-A-Block. And, and so things just carried over. In those days, the studio was like a, like a sanctuary. If you, listen to the, if you listen to the mix, there's this little tiny whine that's going throughout the track. And it sounds like this, this like radio frequency going on. And every once in a while, D&D would have this little sound that would pop up out of nowhere that we couldn't get rid of. And so that day, that track went down with that little whine. And you could hear it. It's this little tiny whine at the top of the beat. Fresher than the next bitch. No need for you to ever sweat the next bitch. With speed, I make the best bitch see the exit. Indeed, you got to know you're thoroughly respected. By me, you get the keys to the Lexus. But no driving got your own. Jay had told me that he approached two other producers and he wanted a rendition. Because it, it was his idea, the sample and the concept of the song. And he brought it to me. He's like, swing at it and see what happens. And I was like, okay. So I went in the studio. I'm like, yo, this is a piece of cake. It turned out that it wasn't exactly a piece of cake because the sample, being that it was live music and the capabilities of drum machines back then, it was almost impossible with Sempi because I was working with the MPC-60, so I was using Sempi to legitimately do a beat that was tight. I was like, yo, this is not going to work. So I was working with an engineer Karen Walsh, he was like, why don't you just sequence it and then we go from there. So I, I worked to sequence it and I got the same results more than likely than the other two producers. So I was like, the only way is to just play the pads live. That intro 
is actually right before, like on the actual song, it's a little deep within the song. It's before the brass section comes in, like before it goes. The hook for Ain't No is sung in part by Khadija Bass. Khadija also worked with jazz on Waiting, featured on Can't Help It by Raw Flush from 1997's Ghetto Millionaire, and wrote songs with Houdini and Salt and Pepper. I mean, Khadija and I have been friends for for so long, like it's, it's spiritual. And so anytime I had something that would come up, I would always consider her first because I, I love the, the texture of her voice. She brings a certain dimension and she and she was my people. So I told her, you know, Jay-Z laid out how he wanted it to go. He wanted a male and a female and they needed from me the actual note as it turned out. But <laughs> they tricked me because they wanted me to lay a reference and the reference I laid is what you hear on the actual song. No one can fuck you better. Sleeps around, but he gives me a lot. Keeps you in diamonds and leather. This is what I honestly think. They were like, well, let him swing at it and give the reference. And if we like it, how it comes out, we'll just leave him on it. And don't forget that when they put out uh, Dead Prez, that was the A-side. So all the promotion, the video, the, the radio, the payola, everything went into dead press. And then in New York, man, it was crazy. Everywhere, every car, every sneaker store was playing Ain't No. And it just blew up like I've never seen a record blow up, probably to this day. The Ain't No video was once again directed by Abdul Malik Abbott, but this time he, Jay-Z and the crew left the cold chill of New York and headed to Miami for some good weather. This song was destined to become a hit and they were just transitioning over to Def Jam. Leo Cohen, he sat in the room and watched the video. He was like, now that's a video because it was different at the time. Like it was no ass shaking. He, he was like, oh, you did a great job. And, and OK, so now we're going to do this. Ain't no video which was also connected to the soundtrack of Nutty Professor. So there was somewhat a lot of pressure on, on us to make it hot. So I just remembered us, us talking, like, well, where are we going to shoot it? How are we going to do this? And it was freezing in New York at the time. For some reason, they release stuff when it's, when it's cold out. So we decided to go down to Miami and shoot that video and sort of give it a Scarface vibe. So the beginning of the video, we pull a line from Scarface. Jay, what's happening? Where's Frank? Frank's finished. You're coming with me. By the way, how much money do you need for shopping? <laughs> By the time we did the Ain't No Video, he already knew who he was. He was comfortable in front of the camera. He was comfortable wearing just a polo shirt. You know, he didn't have to be blinged out or anything like that. And plus, he was sort of mentoring Foxy Brown at the time. The video for Ain't No features Irv Gotti, Mike Geronimo, and the Notorious B.I.G. We also had Biggie on that shoot, who was also late. <laughs> so we still had to wait for him to wake up and, and come shoot the scene. And we didn't really have anything specifically for him to do. We just wanted them in the background. So except for we had one scene where they're supposed to be bringing money into this bank, big bags of money, which is also a, a little nod to Scarface when they bring all these bags of money into the bank. But the downside was that the first day was like pouring rain the whole day. And we had everything scheduled mostly for outside. You know, we didn't have the, the luxury of rescheduling. So a lot of stuff ended up being 
inside. Uh, so we see Jay and Biggs and Damon at the bar. That was supposed to be outside. We see Jay performing with Foxy underneath like this uh, awning with this pillar. That was supposed to be outside. Like it was a lot of stuff that was supposed to happen outside. But Miami has notorious weather. If it wants to rain, it's going to rain. They don't care if you're shooting or not. SK Vibe Maker a UK-based DJ and radio presenter, talks about the impact the Ain't No Video had on him as a DJ and a hip-hop fan. I got introduced to Jay-Z as Ain't No came out, do you know what I'm saying? But when I saw that video, as a youth, as a youngster, I was like, damn, who's this guy in the Versace shirt and Foxy Brown? And I just remember at the time, I remember people dissing him, do you know what I'm saying? He's styly, he's swag. Artists come out nowadays or artists have come out since then and have kind of been certified from the beginning. Like Nas was certified like from the beginning with Illmatic. Biggie was like a real guy certified from the beginning with Ready to Die. Jay-Z, in my memory of when I remember that around the time of the album, weren't really, he weren't certy like that. Do you know what I'm saying? And I remember a lot of people like mocking him and stuff. And I felt like I was always back in the corner, like, nah, Jay-Z sick though. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So that was kind of the argument. The first voice we hear on Reasonable Doubt is Wayne Hershorn, better known as Pain in the Ass. He was an intern at Rockefeller Records and a regular presence at the John Street Hub. He explains how a moment of frustration opened up the door for him to make an appearance on the album and set the tone for what was about to happen. What, what was weird about that was there was like a momentum. So I'm considered, you know, just somebody that works there, you know, or, or somebody that's there in the background. Now, again, I was very frustrated at the time and, and, and especially sexually frustrated. I'm a young kid going through puberty. So, you know, girls are walking in there. You know, these guys are bagging all these girls at the club. So I want I want in, too. I'm like, hey, how you doing? They ignored me, one girl. So I just yelled out. I, like, cursed something out. I was like, fuck this, this and that. And everybody stopped. All the offices, people came out of the office. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to get kicked out of here. You know, this is it for me. I'm done. But I heard a pause, and then I heard like that. And it was Damon and, and, and Biggs laughing. So the next day I went in there, uh, I was watching a lot of gangster movies at the time because my friends were into it. So I started cursing, but with the accents of the movies. And it just started like a movement in there. Like, oh, yo, you need to get him on the album, man. You need to get him on the album. So finally, one day he pulled me into his office. I thought I was in trouble. And he sat me down on the couch. He's like, yo, you're going to be on the album. He goes, how do you feel you about to be on the classic album? So he he knew already. It was going to be classic. That's how far ahead he was. At the time, I was a big Raekwon fan, and I loved that album, um, Only Built for Cuban Links. And one of my favorite songs was a song called Criminology. Hey, hey, who the fuck you think you're talking to? And I would always rewind that part. Or, or I remember Fat Joe just dropped Jealous One's Envy around that time, too, and he had Christopher Walken on a skit, the actual skit from the movie. Okay, from here on, then nothing goes down unless I'm involved. And I said, oh, wow, I want to I do something like that. So I was very influenced already, and hip-hop was going in that direction. So the only difference is I was doing it. I was watching Scarface. I said, ah, see, okay, okay, big man. Why don't some big box? I'll let you how tough you are. You know something about cocaine? Dig on me. Are you kidding me or what, man? I said, oh, that's Jay right there. As a matter of fact, I remember saying it to him and I remember he was just looking at me and I was just like, I was like, what is he doing? You know, and then James was like, yo, shut up, shut up, shut up. Let him do his thing. So Jay-Z's the original mumble rapper, but only the mumbles that he was doing was the greatest raps of all time. 
because he was mumbling to himself. And I was like kind of hyping him up with the skit I was doing. And then he went into the studio, laid down something. And then I went to the studio and laid down and, you know, what you hear is history. Okay, okay, all right, big man, you wanna make some big bucks, huh? Let's see how tough you are. You know something about cocaine? Digame! You kidding me or what, man? There's a bunch of Colombians coming in Friday, new guys. They said they got two keys for us, for openers. Pure cocaine, you tell them capiche. I want you to go over there, and if it's what they say it is, you buy it and you bring it back. You can do that, you make five grand. Meet at the bodegas, noon Friday, you get the buy money then. Oh, and Chico. The first song on Reasonable Doubt is Can't Knock the Hustle, featuring Mary J. Blige, and is produced by Nobody, Sean C., and Dahoud Darian. As Dart Adams explains, Can't Knock the Hustle became part of the hip-hop lexicon. Later, we hear from Rob Markman on why he loved the collaboration with Mary J. Blige. Can't Knock the Hustle, which became like a buzzword. Later, like, um, I'd say, 97, with the Shiny Sue era, Puffy and Biggie really took the player-hater thing and ran with it. But on Can't Knock the Hustle, Jay-Z broke down the whole thing like, I didn't create this life. I ain't create this culture. I was just left with what I was left with. And this is what we made out of it. And he says it so beautifully and uses all these punchlines and metaphors and the flow is bananas and the beat is bouncy. You got Mary J. Blige singing the hook. Can't knock the hustle. Like that shit was beautiful. I always loved R&B and then Mary was just on top of the world. That was such a dope collaboration. In my lifetime is my favorite R&B album ever. So, you know, this is this is heavy Mary J. Blige era. I thought it was cold when he was like, um, my pops knew exactly what he did when he made me try to get a nut and he got a nut and what? It was just like, yo, that's slick. You know what I'm saying? And you gonna talk about your parents like that? Like, it was almost like, yo, you gonna say that? Pain in the Ass remembers a reasonable doubt sampler that had a different version of Can't Knock the Hustle without the queen of R&B. I was on the street team and along with the sticker, there was a, a tape sampler that had, it had dead presidents on one side and on the other side, it had five different songs, but snippets of it. It had politics as usual, a different can't knock the hustle, a different can't knock the hustle, where Jay's rhyming a different rhyme. He goes, I ain't trying to diss yours, young blood, get yours, I already got mine. You think you're playing? Now I'm thinking you're playing when you want the drama, because if you ever violate, I bring it to your ass. I put that on my mama. I'm all about the mighty. Fuck working for whitey. I'm trying to live my life love before they indict me. You see, I got these feds breathing down my neck. You think I got time to fuck around and write some rhymes to diss you? These are real facts you're listening to. You probably won't realize it till your family's missing you. I used to be on that same bullshit. You know my rhymes to do that. My rhymes could do this. Bogus, motherfucker. Take notice. The jigger forever like cops guns. I stay about my papers, I run with it. So he would, he actually spit that on Can't Knock the Hustle. And there was no Mary J. Blige on that. And he would use that on his shows. The second song on the album is Politics As Usual. Ski talks about hearing Hurry Up This Way Again by the stylistics on the radio and being inspired to sample the song. I was in the car with my son's mother. We was driving to the mall and I heard the stylists come on the radio. And I'm like, yo, let's go to the record store. Went to the record store, bought the CD, Stylistics, hurry up this way again. Took it home, made the beat. And I said, yo, Jay-Z is going to kill this track. Played it for Jay. He was like, oh, this is dope. Next day, he killed it. (laughs) You know how we do. Rockefeller. 
forever. Ski was also working with his group, Camp Low, recording demos for their debut album, Uptown Saturday Night, released in 1997. Upon hearing politics as usual, and loving the vibe of the horns in the sample, they asked Ski, Why'd you give him all the good beats? Ski then dug into his crates and crafted a track for the duo, which would bang from 96 till infinity, called Lucina. Cam Lowe, they heard politics and they loved uh, syncopated horns. The bam, 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 bam. And they got mad and like, yeah, why you always give him the best beats? So I had to find a, you know, a sample that was just as crazy with the syncopated horns. So that's how I found Lucini. <laughs> While working on songs for Reasonable Doubt, Ski Beats and DJ Clark Kent both made a beat for politics as usual without knowing that the other was working on it. As Ski gave his version to Jay first, that particular version was the one that he rhymed on. What's, what's crazy is both of us made politics as usual beat. We didn't know we were both making it, but he gave it to Jay first. So because of that, Jay didn't use my version. And he was like, Clark, I love your version, but Ski gave it to me first. And I was like, dog, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. The bulk of the album was a demo that Clark Kent would go up and let the labels hear. As a matter of fact, politics is usually well. Starts off, he goes, you know how we do, Rockefeller, 9-5 and forever, but they took out the 9-5 part. A lot of the stuff was done prior. Meanwhile, in the UK, Shorty Blitz, a legendary DJ and radio presenter, recalls receiving a promo from Freeze Records. Before the album came out as well, I was working at Release the Groove. And um, somebody from Freeze Records came in and dropped off some big jazz 12 inches. Also, he gave me a promo for The Reasonable Doubt. So it had um, Dead Presidents, but on the other side, it had 22 twos and it had two other tracks from the album. I got there like in January, late January, February of 96. By that time, like I said, we were playing a lot of the snippets. I, I vividly remember Brooklyn's Finest. It was just Jay. And it was going to be just Jay. And it was like, yo, Big might get on this. And then there was spaces between. So it was just Jay. And then Big was going to wait to do his part. And then Big finally did it. And then Clark needed to come up with a hook. So there was a lot of recordings being done within that frame between January and June of 96. The third song on Reasonable Doubt is the first ever collaboration between Jay-Z and the notorious B.I.G. The two were introduced to each other by Clark Kent, who also produced the track. He used Jay to push Biggie to become a better MC. And it wasn't until Dead Presidents 2 that Biggie ended up seeing Jay's talent the same way Clark did. I, I, I more use Jay on Big because I believe Jay was the best. So I would be like, you know, I'm telling you, my man is the best. My man's the best. My man is the best. And he'd be like, yo, he all right. I'm like, nah, you're going to think he's the best. And then when he heard Dead Presidents Part 2, we were on tour and unplayed it for him over the phone. And he was like, yo, Clark, yeah, your man's crazy. I was like, I fucking told you, dog. He's like, nah. And then he would ask for beats that I had already given to him. He'd be mad. He'd be like, yeah, you get this nigga everything. And I'm like, well, he's my artist. What you want me to do? But when he heard Brooklyn's Finest, he was not taking that for no. Yes, it's true he heard it by accident, but it's almost like he had to hear it. Because if he didn't hear it, I'm not sure how I would have gotten them together. You know what I'm saying? How do you tell this dude, yo, you have to do a record with this dude when he's like, I'm already over here doing these records. I'm about to build my crew. Why do I have to do a record with this guy? And I'm just like, 
you're both my guys, but he's my guy. So you got to do this. And he's looking at me like, you know, I don't have to do nothing. I'm, and, I'm, and he's mad. Like he's getting more mad because I keep telling him he's the Ellis. He's like, you know who you want to tour with? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It would, it would feel like that. And the crew would be like, yo, you know, he's biggie, right? <laughs> so it was almost like, yo, you're bugging, Clark. You start talking about this dude. Sean Kantrowitz, host of the Can't Knock the Shuffle podcast, asks one question. Brooklyn Spiders, I mean, do you like rap? What, what, what do you want? What more do you want? You want, you want Jay-Z and, and Biggie going back and forth, neck and neck? Oh, and, and we're not going to even do like a 4-4 four, four, like sample? Like we're going to kind of have this odd timing, like this odd time signature? What do you want? Being from Brooklyn right off the bat, that Brooklyn's finest. Rob Markman talks about the sense of hometown pride that Brooklyn's finest made him feel. Like J and Big, like, are you crazy? Like, I loved it because I always felt like I'm from Flatbush in Brooklyn. And I always felt like Flatbush got slept on. I, you know, like we had special ed when we were, we were coming up. Around that time in, in, in 96, we had the Bush Babies and cellar dwellers you know there, it was a couple but but bed style was you know when you thought of brooklyn you thought of bed style and that's what you heard on records and, and a lot of that had to do with biggie just to hear like clark just shout out flatbush was a big thing dj clark kent reveals that the song we've come to hear and love isn't the original version of brooklyn's finest in fact the song wasn't going to be called that at all that day like jay did a whole song and then I asked, can Biggie be on the record? If I don't ask, the song is just Jay. So when I asked and they said, okay, you know, me bringing Biggie in and they laughing and, and Jay stood there for 20 minutes listening to the beat over and over, went in and did new verses. So what you hear is not the original. And it wasn't called Brooklyn's Finest. It had two titles that we were trying to figure out. It was, is it going to be? No more Mr. Nice Guy, because if you can remember, he goes, no more Mr. Nice Guy, switch shit back. But, or it was called Once We Get Started, because every time the record broke down, the oh, 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 was supposed to go, once we get started, and Jay come back in with the rounds. The bad part about the bad part about that one record is that the master tape from it is lost. So it's not even like I could pull it and, and print it again. It was at Giant Studios and Giant Studios closed down and I don't know where the tape was. I wish I could find it because I would probably mix the song again. Well, I would want to. Jay and Biggie's relationship grew from that initial meeting in the studio. So much so that after Jay recorded new verses for Brooklyn's Finest, he invited Biggie to appear in the Dead Presidents video only days after. The video for Dead Presidents happened the day after we recorded Jay's verse on Brooklyn's Finest. It was like the next day they were doing that present. He was like, he'll come through for the video. It was either the next day or one day between. As mentioned before, Reasonable Doubt featured a different version of Dead Presidents with new lyrics over the original beat. Ski says Jay wanted to give the people more. Pain in the Yarse gives another reason as to why Jay-Z updated the formula. Listen to the difference between Dead Presidents 1 and the dead presidents that end up on the album. The Soviet, the unified steady, steady flow. flow. You already know, you light, I'm heavy row, heavy dough, Mike Machete, your flow. Dead Presidents 1 is somber and sad. It's weird. I want money like Cosby, who wouldn't? He's speaking from an angle of being on the streets and being tired. 
Now they put out that single, and luckily Heavy D told them put "Ain't No Nigga" on the on on the B side because they weren't going to do that. They believed in in Dead President so much. They're like, yo, this is it. This is the one that's going to catapult us. So it was Heavy D that said, yo, you should go with that song, Ain't No Nigga. That's the one with Foxy Brown. Foxy was hot right after doing the joint with LL Cool J, I Shot You. So they put out that and it takes off in the clubs. They kept playing the song in the club. The radio started playing it, started growing. Then he comes out with Dead Presidents 2 to put on the album. You could hear the cockiness and the difference in that. Now he's made it in his mind. That was the main turning point because that made him big in the clubs. Now we could perform at clubs. Now it's not like we're going to grab the mic because we butt out the bar. Now he's getting booked. Like, yo, we want Jay-Z. Ski delivers a one-two punch with the album sequencing and follows Dead Presidents with Feeling It featuring Mecca. Initially, the song wasn't even made with Jay in mind, but Ski is a team player. Feeling It was my song. Feeling It, I was working on a solo album it was me and Geechee Suede and my homegirl Mecca. She was on the hook. I was in the house, made the beat. I wrote the hook. I said, yo, Mecca, sing this right here. She sung the hook. I laid my verse. Sway laid his verse. And I was excited. I'm like, yeah, I got my first little song for my album. Now six and forever. And me and Dame, we lived in the same building. So I went to Dame's crib. And Jay was there. And I said, yo, y'all, check out. I got my single. This is dope. Play it for him. Jay-Z heard it and was like, I'll buy it. <laughs> yo, I want that beat. I want that beat and I want the hook. And the way you're flowing, I'm going to flow the same way. He took my flow, told me he was going to take it, took my flow, kept the hook, and made an incredible record out of it. On the next episode of Brooklyn's Finest. If you hear on 22 twos at the end, she goes, Jay-Z, I know you got a lot of problems with the law because what originally Reasonable Doubt was supposed to be structured like was Jay-Z was going to be on trial for being the illest rapper in the game. It was right after O.J. Simpson and the whole verdict and everything. A Reasonable Doubt was a, a big word around that time that was being used. So it was going to be like he was on trial. Clint's Finest, The Making of Reasonable Doubt by Jay-Z. It's a Breaking Atom production. This series is produced by Sumit Sharma and Christopher Mitchell and is mixed and mastered by Dave Walker. To stay in the loop and receive episodes as soon as they drop, follow and subscribe to Breaking Atoms or search for Breaking Atoms wherever you listen to podcasts.